Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to episode 29 of the Sprinkler Nerd Show. I'm your host, Andy Humphrey, and we're going to be talking about soil moisture sensors today, and specifically the two watering strategies that you can utilize with a sensor, the first being the lower threshold or the dry moisture threshold, and the second being upper threshold and the wet moisture profile. The episode today is going to be a pre-recorded Baseline Tech Talk Tuesday episode with myself, Dan Conger, who's the training manager, and Chris Wright, VP of Sales. And we're going to do a roundtable on the two different ways to manage moisture sensors and some of the things to consider when you're either using one for the first time or you want to layer moisture sensors on top of your existing control system. Or perhaps you're just curious and you've never used one before. And this could give you a good, solid understanding of, of how we use them to manage uh, irrigation systems in the landscape. And I like to point out, and this is something that tends to not only help me, but help those who I'm working with, it's important to remember and consider how we water our landscapes today. In other words, how do we set up the controller? And there's three basic components when we set the schedule on a controller. We have the runtime minutes, the start time, what time of day, and how many days a week. So I think anyone listening to this can relate to that. We have the runtime, start time, and days of the week. So as we implement either an ET-based watering system with weather stations, or we're going to start using soil moisture sensors, we're going to use these tools to influence one or more of those key components. So as you're listening to the conversation today, I want you to keep in mind and be thinking about how does a soil moisture sensor influence the runtime or the start time or the day of the week, the schedule, because each of those three components can be automated and altered using the soil moisture sensor. So let me try to explain a little bit more. You can use the dry or the lower limit of a soil moisture sensor to tell you when to water. That would be, when is it dry? Which day of the week? Is it going to be dry on Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday? And when it becomes dry, then you can allow the system to run for that runtime that you've had on the controller. Now, keep in mind, if you put two minutes on that runtime, it may not be enough water. So it could be that it just gets drier and drier and drier and your system runs every day. The other method, which again, you're going to hear about today, is the upper moisture limit. And the upper moisture limit controls the runtime. And so if you would like to water your system on a set schedule, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Monday, Thursday, etc., if you want to fix your schedule, then you can use the soil moisture sensor to help you water for the exact amount of runtime. So in other words, if on Monday it needs 15 minutes of water to reach field capacity, the soil moisture sensor can help you get there. On Wednesday, if it needs 30 minutes because it was drier that day or windier, the soil moisture sensor can help you reach that upper threshold. So those are the two things to consider is using the soil moisture sensor for dry, which would help you pick the schedule and automate the schedule, or using the soil moisture sensor to control your runtime or reaching field capacity. And in that case, you would have alternating runtimes 
based on how much water needs to be applied. So keep those things in mind today as you're listening to this episode of Baseline Tech Talk Tuesday. And as always, I appreciate hearing from you guys. A couple people have reached out on LinkedIn. Uh, I love hearing your comments, your feedback. If there's something you would like to uh, learn more about that we could or I could talk about on the podcast, feel free to drop me a note, give me a suggestion. would love to hear from you. And without further ado, let's jump into this episode of the Sprinkler Nerd Show and a replay from Baseline Tech Talk Tuesday. If you are an irrigation professional, old or new, who designs, installs, or maintains high-end residential, commercial, or municipal properties, and you want to use technology to improve your business, to get a leg up on your competition, even if you're an old school irrigator from the days of hydraulic systems, this show is for you. Today, we're going to be talking about soil moisture sensors, which goes right to the foundation of baseline, how we got started, and uh, along the lines of why we do what we do. And we'll talk about the data and, and what makes baseline successful and, and how we do these things. And as it relates to sensors, Dan's going to take us, but there's the two topics for today, lower threshold and upper threshold. And we want you guys to have a solid understanding of the differences. Mm-hmm. And we're going to try to make this simple and easy so that you can implement it if it's the first time, or you can take an existing controller to that next level. So Dan, with that, why don't we turn it over to you? So we're talking about soil moisture sensors and the upper threshold or lower threshold and ways to control those. And I really think that a a thermostat is a great analogy to what a soil moisture sensor is trying to do and the way we approach it. Uh, We all, I think we'd all agree it would be ridiculous and not a very smart move to manually turn to have a a switch for your heater or your air conditioner to turn it off and on or to do that based off of a time. Like every 10 minutes, on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, you're going to turn on the heater. Like, no, that doesn't make much sense. So with a thermostat, we're trying to maintain a range of temperature. We're probably trying to do something very similar with the soil moisture sensor, maintain a range of moisture content within the soil, as opposed to just straight time. Yep. And there's a couple things that make the thermostat so simple. We have a lot more restrictions in the mm-hmm. landscape, so we'll talk about this. But what we're all faced with as irrigators are those restrictions. And so our systems are set up based on run times, start times, and days of the week. What's different about the home is that your, heat can, your cooling can come on whenever it needs to because you don't have those types of, of restrictions. And so as we go through this, um, please be keeping in mind what Dan talks about in relationship to run times, start times, and days of the week. And we'll kind of uh, reiterate this uh, throughout the day or throughout the episode. That, that's interesting because there is another layer to it, right? It's, it's rare or it's not that common that you could just turn on your water anytime the moisture dries down. So there's another layer to that. So. A soil moisture sensor is really just another device to gather data. So the other devices we've got is we've got flow data that can come in, we've got pressure data, soil moisture, we've got temperature, all these data points that come in. And that's really what a a soil moisture sensor is. And this is where it's one of the places where it's different than a thermostat. And the older thermostats actually controlled this one, um, actually controlled your heating or AC. 
now we're using it as a data point and using it to influence on top of those other uh, parameters that we might have. Now we're getting this data in real time. Um, so it's in, you know, in, as it's actually happening, we're getting this and we're able to uh, use it to influence this. The thing about data on an irrigation system is it's all about making better management decisions. The more data you have, the more information you have, the better you can manage your, your irrigation. If you look at those devices that you have on screen, Dan, the soil moisture sensor came first. So what's really right. cool about the moisture sensor is a lot of what we have today was all because of that, right? So the old story of, you know, inventing the soil moisture technology and then trying to decide how to get that data from the landscape back to the controller and the two-wire technology and protocol that we use today was all sort of developed around that thought of getting the moisture data back to the controller. And so we can kind of thank the soil moisture sensing technology and communication protocol for all the other um, awesome capabilities that are built in today. Right on, right on. So we're going to get a little, little sciencey, a little nerdy here, and we're going to talk about volumetric moisture content and field capacity. So there's a couple of things that, that go on here is, is we, our sensors are going to measure the moisture content based off of the volume for the moisture within the soil. So one way to think about it is depending upon how much space there is in the soil or the capacity for different soil types to hold moisture, whether it's sand, silt, or clay, that volumetric moisture content is based off of it. So if we think about volume, if I had a, if I had a bucket, if that silver bucket was filled with soil and water, it's not all soil and it's not all water. So if I were to have a saturated soil, it's not going to read 100% on the sensor. What is it? It's like uh, maybe it's mid mid to upper 30s, or it really well. It depends on the soil type, doesn't it? Well, if you if you dropped it in a swimming pool, you would read maybe 39, right? Yeah. If there was no sand at all and it was in a lake, that's the maximum you would you would see on as a reading. Right, right. So I I think that's probably an important thing to remember is the number is never going to read 100. So and and that's actually a common misperception, right? If I put it in a bucket of water or the swimming pool, it doesn't read up 100, it, it's variable. And it's, it's really about, I, I like your diagram here with the buckets, so the, a, a bucket of sand, a bucket of loam, a bucket of clay soil, there's different capacities for each of those soils. So we know that when we have a sandy soil, we're gonna have to water more frequently because it can't hold as much moisture content as a clay soil. And I know that from my time doing installation is when there's clay soil on a site, and it rained, you're, you're a week out before you can work on the site because it's just, there's so much moisture on there. Um, now, coming to uh, field capacity, um, a sponge I think is a great analogy. It's a great way to think about field capacity. So I had this bucket full of water and I, I pulled the sponge out of the bucket of water the other day when I took this picture. And as I pulled it out of the bucket of water, it was obviously the sponge was saturated completely. It couldn't hold any more water. And you can see the water's running out of the bottom of the sponge. And after a couple minutes, the water stopped running out. It stopped draining out. Gravity couldn't pull any more out of it. And that's what we would call field capacity. The amount of water that a, so a particular soil could hold in the face of gravity before it pulls anything out. Now, once I start squeezing it, I can get more water out. There's a lot of water in there. And the squeezing is going to be 
how much does a sandy soil hold or how much does a clay soil hold? And that's uh, dependent upon the soil type and a sponge is, is what it is. So we want to kind of keep that in mind. We want to approach that field capacity. Now, if I pull that sponge out and I try to add more water to it, it's just going to run right out the bottom. And that's wasted water. So we don't want to exceed the field capacity for our soil. So having this information is, that's our goal, right? Is to not exceed field capacity and to figure out how far below field capacity we can dry out and not hurt our plant material. Mm -hmm. It's also important to consider, you know, when runoff would occur as you're applying the water too. So one of the uh, yeah. key uh, strategies when using soil moisture sensors when we're irrigating that we'll talk about is the cycle and soak process. Because mm -hmm. if you just dump a bunch of water on that sponge all at once, it's not going to absorb it all. A lot of it will, you know, run off of it or not get utilized and soil operates and reacts the same way. That's right. That's right. When I pulled this out of, out of my storage, the, the sponge was bone dry and it took a couple of minutes and a little bit of working to get it to, to fully saturate. I like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as you're getting ready to install a sensor, once you've installed a sensor, before you let it actually control or manage your irrigation, we think it's a really good idea to just use the sensor to collect data. And so here on the, on the left side, I have my sensor assigned to a zone and I've, I'm using a timed strategy. So I'm still watering based off of my time schedule. So I know I telling it how long to water on what days to water, but I'm collecting information. So I've got my sensor is now a window into the soil and telling me how I'm watering based off of time. Mm -hmm. Now I can use now I can use that data off of a graph or something like that to decide how far do I want to let it dry down or how much do I want to fill it up, um, and basically make my decisions going forward based off of the data I've collected over this period of time. Right, that was very poignant, Dan. A window into your soil. Ooh, I could make a song about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Dan, I'll point out the. You could simply search for your sensor and assign it to sensor spot number one and collect the data. Mm -hmm. What's important about what you're showing here is that the assignment process has been made. And the reason that's important is because if we looked at this system three months after installation and the sensors hadn't been assigned, we may not even have that yeah, information. Right. And so during the initial uh, installation and configuration, it's highly recommended. And if you're specifier watching, it might be good to put in your um, spec documents for the contractor to make the sensor assignment so that when we're ready to automate, the sensor has been assigned to the correct zone and it's ready to basically flip the switch to automation. We don't have to go back and look for the design notes and figure out what's the serial number, where is it located, what zone is it in, all of those things. That can be done right at the time of installation. It's also good with the in timed mode initially to see over a week or a two week period as you're irrigating how your sensor reacts to those irrigation cycles. Mm -hmm. And you can determine if it may be buried too deep or oh, yeah. um, the, the DU of the zone that you buried it in may not be that good and isn't uh, uh, getting as much moisture where the soil sensor is located. Mm -hmm. So you can make adjustments before you flip that switch and automate. Yeah. yeah it verifies what the runtime is doing 
to the soil. Is 45 minutes what you thought it was? Right. Because we come up with those of us that have, have uh, come into the industry with timed watering, we're used to this, you know, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, whatever that time is. And it's, it's amazingly consistent across the country. People say, well, this is how long I water a spray zone for. It's like, where'd you come up with that? The sensor is going to tell you how that 10 minutes or 30 minutes is actually influencing it. And it's, it's quite accurate. Mm -hmm. So once you've collected some data, we can talk about some watering strategies, some ways in which you might water. And I'm going to use a, a gas tank analogy because I think that the gas tank on your, on your car or truck is very similar to what the soil profile is, is in the way we, we treat them. So one strategy, one way of watering is to do timed. So you're going to have fixed run days. You're going to water every Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 8 p.m. Okay. Well, if we took that to um, your, your truck, you're going to fill up the gas tank every Monday morning at 8 a.m., and you're going to run the gas for exactly 10 minutes. Well, some days you're not going to have enough gas to get through the week. And other days you're going to have, you're going to be running gas down the, down the sidewalk. You've had too much fuel in there. That's not necessarily a good, good call on that one. So that's a time strategy. The other way we could do it is with a lower limit water strategy. That's where we have a fixed run time. The amount of time that it's going to run for each cycle is fixed. It does not change. But the run days, the days in which it's going to apply the water is variable. So it may, we've given it the opportunity to run Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, but it may not run on Wednesday because the moisture sensor doesn't agree with that schedule and it says, I've got enough moisture content. This is really good for deep and infrequent watering. It's particularly healthy for plants. It's a good agronomically, it's a good way to approach watering mm -hmm. with a lower limit. Um, if we brought it to the gas tank analogy, you're waiting until the red light comes on or until it gets to the, to the E mm -hmm. um, to run it all the way down. Right, and you know that if you squeeze the handle on the gas pump, five minutes is enough to fill your tank or 10 minutes is enough to fill your tank every time because the volume, the number of gallons you're putting in will be exactly the same every time because right. it's right. when the light comes on. Right. Okay. And then the third watering strategy is the upper limit water strategy. So this is where we have the fixed run days. So every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, absolutely guaranteed it will come on, but the run time that is going to be variable. So one time it might run for five minutes, the next time it might run for 20 minutes. It all depends upon the moisture content in the soil. So we're gonna fill up the soil profile with water every time we have it. It's not mm -hmm. gonna dry down, it's gonna fill up. It works really well when you have restricted run days. So restrictions might come from a sports field, right? You can only water one day a week or two days a week. Or it might come from watering restrictions from legal restrictions, like there's water rationing and you have two days a week in which to water and you better fill up that soil profile every single time. So, um, a gas tank analogy again, wa uh, gas rationing back in the seventies, I just dated myself dramatically. Um, once a week you had your day to come up to fill up your gas tank. And if you didn't fill it up, you're hosed. You had no, you had no fuel for the rest of the week. So there were definitely people waiting for their opportunity to fill up and we could, the same thing would apply if, if it's watering. So those are the, the three ways in which we can approach them. So I don't, we don't need to go into time, but lower and upper limit we want to nope. talk And about. just remember, Dan's been talking a lot about it. If you look at that slide, run times and days of the week. 
So as you think about upper threshold, lower threshold, and using a moisture sensor, it's really about how is that moisture sensor affecting and controlling the runtime or the day of the week. Absolutely. Nice. So let's get into the actual programming, the way we'd actually set this up. So one of the first steps you need to do is you need to assign the correct sensor um, and set up the LinkedIn primary structure. So the LinkedIn primary means that one sensor is going to influence multiple zones. That's based on the 3200. If it was based on a 1000, a sensor would be running an entire program. There's a slight, slight difference on those. But getting that right sensor, and I don't want to gloss over on that because I think that's really important. Because if here I'm getting uh, sensor uh, 13402, if I thought I was getting that sensor, but in fact I was getting a sensor that's buried in zone six instead of zone one, we're going to get completely different results. We're, it's not going to behave the way we thought. Mm -hmm. So having a named zone and keeping track of, or having a named sensor and keeping track of where your sensors are is, is just critical to this step. Um, yep. And you'd be surprised. Oftentimes <laughs> installation contractors don't write down where they put the sensor. They may write down the serial numbers, but they forget or they didn't document what zone it right. was buried in. And so having that information is critical and the, the closer you can enter it into base manager uh, as soon after construction, the better. Um, and then we can also help you better remotely when we have all this stuff uh, labeled and in a system. Yeah. So then we're going to pick a watering strategy. Uh, right now I'm using lower limit, but we'll see both of them. So pick a timed lower limit or upper limit strategy. And then we're going to pick a start below or above percentage, depending if we're doing a lower limit or upper limit. So, there's a couple ways to get to this number. It's not mysterious. It's actually, there's, there's a couple of steps to that one. So right now I've got to start below a 24%. So one way to do it is to use the calibration function. So calibration essentially means the, con the controller is going to attempt to find what the field capacity is for the soil. So it's going to have a, a series of cycles in which to run and use that to, cal to help calculate the start below. Now, Chris, you had, you had a, um, a pretty good in-depth description of what happens on that calibration. So if it, if it runs for 45 minutes and it doesn't find field capacity, what happens next? Yeah, it could possibly create some behavior as it's going through to uh, the process of trying to find what that field capacity is that's unexpected and may freak a user out, <laughs> um, essentially. So in the calibration process, you've got uh, three options. You've got calibration never, which means that it won't ever go out and try to find uh, its holding capacity. Or you've got uh, calibration once, which means that it'll go through the process once. And then you've got calibration monthly, which means it will go through and do a field capacity calibration at the, on the first day of every month. Um, so calibration isn't used very often. Um, and uh, calibration monthly is rarely used, if at all. Uh, but if you do it once, the behavior will be um, that if the system comes on and runs for the 45 minutes programmed into the zone and it doesn't find field capacity, then the next time the system comes on to operate, say you did your first attempt on Tuesday, 
Then on Thursday, if it's scheduled to run again, it's going to run for 45 minutes plus 20%. So it's gonna run another 10 minutes beyond 45 minutes. If it doesn't find it then, then the next Tuesday, when it's scheduled to run again, it's gonna run for 45 minutes plus 40% longer, okay? And so during that calibration process, if you're doing it that way, you're going to have dry down, obviously, from Thursday to Tuesday. Yeah, right. So it's going to try to apply more water uh, to try to find that upper limit or that field capacity. And it'll do that process until it finds that limit up to 100% um, of your runtime. So it could do it up to 90 minutes. And if it doesn't find it after that time, then it'll come back and tell you that calibration failed and you will have to either increase your run times to try to find that capacity um, or go through the process again. Right. So the other way that we see that's even probably more common is to not use the calibration, but to do a observation method. So in that case, an observation method, and that's exactly how I came up with this one, is if you look at the current moisture content, it's 23.5%. I walked out to the zone, looked at it and said, based off of my experience as an irrigator, I want it to dry down just a little bit more, and then I want, I'm ready for it to run. And that's how I came up with 24%. So I looked at it, I have some, I'm starting to see a little bit of stress and anything more is gonna be an issue, and I came up with start below. So those are, those are probably the two main methods in which people come up with that start below number. The tracking ratio allows you to adjust each zone up or down if it's a little, you can fine tune it. And then cycle and soak is gonna give it multiple times the water. So that's gonna become really important in, in a, a coming scenario, the cycle soak. So here's a lower limit programming setup. So here we have a sensor that's assigned to zone one and it's a primary and then the other zones are linked to it. I'm using a lower limit strategy. My start below is 24%, even though right now it's at 23 and a half percent. And then my, I have start days here. So I have a, a 10 PM start time on Monday, Wednesday, excuse me, Monday through Friday. So I, I don't want my site watering on Saturday and Sunday because I'm not around. So I've given it five start times five start opportunities per week. If you look at it like, Dan, that's way too much water to water every single day. Well, yeah, that, that would be if it was timed, but it's not timed watering. So the way this is gonna behave is at uh, Monday at 10 o'clock at 10 p.m., if it's, if it's below 24%, it will start watering and it will run for its 45 minutes. Tuesday comes around if it's again below 24%, if it's dried down below that, it will water again. But come Wednesday, it will, at 10 o'clock, it'll check the sensor. And if the sensor says, no, I have, I'm above 24%, I'm wetter than that, then it won't run Wednesday, Thursday. So it will have every opportunity I give it to water, it will, if it's um, drier than 24%. Mm -hmm. Yep, Dan, so to, if, you, if you guys remember back to the slide that Dan showed about run times, and days of the week, what you see historically through the season is in the spring, it could be once a week because it just does not dry out. There's uh, little evaporation, little transpiration. And so you may only get watering once a week. As you yeah. move into summer, 
it may need to water every single day. That could be rare, but it may need to water every single day because that 45 minutes basically could be the daily ET. And so you see this awesome historical uh, change in your day interval. So in the spring, it could be once a week. In the summer, it could be once a day. And that day interval change happens automatically with the sensor. So would you be using uh, water budget while you're using soil moisture sensors? You could. In, it just may need to water more. <laughs> if, if you had it at 50%, you know, it'll just run more frequently because you're not applying as much water. Yeah. Yeah. So here's a, here's a graph showing the run times in blue and it's always running. This is a different zone. So it's always running seven, 75 minutes every time it waters. But you notice that uh, between May, May 5th and May 16th, there's 10 days where it did not water. They was scheduled to water, but it didn't need it because it hadn't dried down. Now come about uh, between the 15th and 16th, it dried down and hit that lower limit line. And on the 16th, it watered up. Now, as we go later in the month and let's jump all the way to May 27th, you notice it, it watered again, but it was five days between waterings because it's later in the month. It was a little hotter. Beginning of May, it was cooler mm -hmm. and needed less watering. Yeah. It didn't, didn't take every opportunity it needed to water. I just counted those day intervals. It went from a 10 days in between to nine days to five days. And That's, that would be a sign of the, the, ET rate increasing as summer uh, onset of summer. That's right. good math on the fly, Andy. I'm impressed. <laughs> We're impressed. Good. So the other strategy is an upper limit programming. So here we've got a sensor assigned with the primary and link setup. We're using an upper limit, and this time the stop above percentage is 27.5%. And the current moisture is 26.2. So next time it has an opportunity, it will water up to 27.5%. Now here's where the cycle and soak is very, very important. My runtime is set for 50 minutes and I gave it a cycle time of 10 minutes. So if it were to run the entire 50 minutes, it would run it in 10 minutes, soak for 30, another 10, soak for 30. So the way this is gonna behave is at 7 p.m. on Monday, it's gonna water and it's gonna to attempt to water 50 minutes, but it will only run 10 minutes. And after 10 minutes during that soak time, it will check the sensor and find out if it's dried, if it's wet, uh, reach field capacity, or if it's wet up above 27.5%. If it hasn't, it's gonna run another 10 minutes. And then in that next cycle time, and next soak time, it will check it. Is it still, can I still run my next one? So it might run three cycles, so 30 minutes, but the last two cycles it wouldn't run if it has, um, reached above 27 and a half percent. Yep. And the biggest and, takeaway here is that we don't interrupt a runtime, right? Nice. We cannot just stop watering when we reach. What we do is we, the controller decides not to apply another cycle. So yeah. the, the cycle and soak with upper threshold is the key to making it work correctly. Because if this was just a 50 minute runtime, all it would do is water 50 minutes because there's nothing to uh, it doesn't stop the cycle like a stop condition. It runs the first cycle, waits, and decides if it needs to apply another one. And right. it takes that cycle soak, what it learns, and applies those to the link zones. So your link zones get the same number of cycles that the primary zone had. Absolutely right. 
right now if i and if i didn't have that cycle soak set up in there it would run all 50 minutes and that might be too much it would it might overflow the, the mm -hmm. cup if you would yep and you'll right. see that on the graph and i believe the next slide up if if you see a spike way above your field capacity a lot of users think why isn't this stopping at field capacity um and there you see some Right. Because it's all about pulsing it and getting the tightest resolution you can with the cycles. And it's almost impossible to hit the field capacity line perfectly. Uh, but you can use that cycle capability to try to, to try to do that. Well, yeah. and it's about the sensor being able to see that application of water as well. And right. that will vary depending on the soil type. So in a sandier soil, it's going to see that application of water faster than if it were on a clay soil where it would take, you know, potentially minutes to even hours for that application of water to infiltrate the soil profile, even a couple of inches. So you right. need to be cognizant of that um, and give it the opportunity to apply that first application to break the surface tension of that soil, apply a second to help to, um, uh, force that first application of water into the soil profile deeper and the third one to really accelerate that capillary action through the yeah. soil profile. So you, you know we're getting nerdy today because we're almost out of time. So do we have any questions that we need to come up for? Because I got, I got a, we could, we could talk more about this graph or. Yeah. Could, and we kind of addressed it already, but uh, Josh Wooten wanted to know, can you calibrate it with the cycle and soak? in that program and yes absolutely you want to calibrate it with the cycle and soak because that will you know ultimately determine how long you need to run mm -hmm. for uh, that sensor to see field capacity so if i'm running for 50 minutes trying to calibrate not cycle and soaking at 30 minutes i may start generating runoff and so that 20 minutes of added runtime is just running off and wasting yeah. and not getting into the soil profile. So it's, it's affecting your uh, runtime to reach calibration. Mm -hmm. So you definitely want to cycle and soak while calibrating. Yep. And keep in mind, it doesn't double your water window because the baseline controller being, being smart and sophisticated while one zone is waiting, it goes and runs another zone. And so you may have, you know, just a margin of extra runtime, but it's watering other things in the process of, of soaking. That's yeah. right. If you have your concurrency set up. Yeah. And so uh, maximizing your design flow. So that's where that interfacing with those other two wire devices, like the flow meters or the pressure transducers or whatever, it's all important because those other two wire devices are helping to, manage the um, operation of the mm -hmm. system based on soil moisture sensors. Yep. And your site may not run clockwise around the building because one's got to soak and it's got to go find another zone to fill that spot. And so you may have the uh, baseline dance, if you will, with the sprinklers, which can yeah. to new users make it seem like something's not working quite, quite right, but it's doing exactly what it should be doing, which is maximizing the sensors, maximizing your runtimes, your water windows, your hydraulics, all of that. I think you just uh, introduced a new topic for a, uh, another Tech Talk Tuesday, because that baseline was dance. Talk. Really. <laughs> baseline dance. My, my zones on are going to be random around the property? What? Yeah. <laughs>
All right, guys, that's going to wrap up this episode of the Sprinkler Nerd Show. I might be saying this for the fifth time or the tenth time, and it is really important to remember we are using the soil moisture sensor to influence either the runtime, the start time, or the day of the week. So as you think about using a soil moisture sensor or ET and weather-based system for that matter, you need to think how does this automation or this data affect my runtime, start time, or day of the week. And I say that because it can be easy to overcomplicate what we're doing and all we're doing is alternating or automating or managing that runtime, start time, or day of the week. So I think that those of you that have been in the industry for a long time, you can go up to a controller and you can set that runtime, start time, day of the week pretty accurately based on the type of sprinklers or the irrigation application. For those of you that are new, you may need to do a little bit of research, take some classes, uh, learn a little bit more about how to properly schedule your system. And then all we're doing with the soil moisture sensor is trying to layer on top of that some data to either help you make better decisions to set your schedule or to automate the schedule. And again, I'll say it for the 10th time now, we're using soil moisture sensors to modify the runtime, the start time, or the day of the week. All right, I'm gonna get off my soapbox. We'll end this episode. I uh, look forward to seeing you guys next time on the Sprinkler Nerd Show. And if you have any feedback or you'd like to propose a topic or um, something else we can discuss on the show, we'd love to hear from you. So don't hesitate to reach out in our private Facebook community on LinkedIn, or you can email me, andy at sprinklernerd.com. Go out, have a great week, work hard, and we'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.